Can you still hear me? Yeah, I can still. Can you still okay, hear me? Okay. Yes. Perfect. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Oh my goodness. I keep telling Chad, I'm like, no, no, no. You really like whatever system you find that you think is good. It really just has to be simple. Neither of us are like <laughs> great at technology. Yeah. Oh my yeah. goodness. Lady. <laughs> everyone and welcome to Almost True with Laylee and Sophia. I'm Laylee. I'm Sophia and today we're talking about food. Yeah. Yeah. Food. <laughs> <laughs> food recipes, growing up with different foods, growing up with cultural families and different foods. Awesome. So I had a couple questions like I always do but I also wrote down some foods and recipes that are traditional to my family and my cultures that's awesome you prepared anything this is the yellow greek cookbook that has been with my family for forever the first book we ever had my mom caught on fire on the stove (laughs) (laughs) yeah we didn't have cookbooks like persian cookbooks in my family until just a couple of years ago we had family recipes and then it was just sort of yeah I make the same recipes that my great grandma used to make (laughs) awesome I love it when family recipes can trickle down like that when I ask my mom for recipes she's like well I can give you the sort of recipe but it's not a full recipe Mm -hmm. because it's you know a handful of this and a bit pinch of that and that's how she was taught how to make it and that's yeah. just that is the recipe um just put in enough until it smells good literally that was my mom t- teaching me how to make it I'm like on the phone with her and I'm like okay how much of this do I put in and she just goes uh until it smells right that's funny my dad's super stingy about his recipes too because he makes these roasted vegetables <laughs> And TJ was like, oh my God, I need to know what's in this because it's amazing. And part of it's like my dad has a trigger. So the the smokiness and the flavor comes a little bit from that. But um, he was making the recipe and we're in the kitchen with him. And my dad's like turning his back and like putting Mm -hmm. ingredients in the recipe and not telling us what it is. And T was like, what is the yellow color? And my dad goes, okay, I'll give you on one little secret. There's turmeric in it and obviously garlic and olive oil. But aside from that, it was like he was putting a bunch of stuff in there and he refused to tell us. And so mm-hmm. every visit, it's like maybe we get one more ingredient that goes into it. Mm-hmm. But he hasn't given us the full full recipe at all. And he'll have like different people. He'll go tell Liam to my little mm-hmm. brother to um, go into the garage and grab some ingredients. And then he's like putting stuff in there. And then every time someone else is grabbing a different ingredient, so you never get the full picture of it because he just prides himself on like, yeah, no, when I die basically is when you're going to get this recipe because you don't get to have it now. So does your family have any food traditions like during the holidays or? Yeah. Um, I I think holidays are a big one. That's always there's always food traditions in that even for like just Thanksgiving and stuff it's the turkey and the cranberry sauce and I always remember the friends episode with Monica being like concentric circles with the marshmallows you know (laughs) so for us a traditional Norwegian Christmas and then in Greece Easter is a really big deal it's like Christ has risen 
Christos Anesti, blah, 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 the big, like my big fat Greek wedding, tons of people. And there was one year where my mom was, she just moved to Boston. So I was going to make the tsuraiki, which is the, the braided bread for Easter. And mm-hmm. it's a traditional bread that you have for Easter. And it's a huge thing to do. So it takes like tons of prep time, lots of ingredients. And then you have to let the dough rise like three times. The whole process takes about 16 to 18 hours on your feet the whole time because you got to let the dough rise and you punch it down, knead it, do it again. Then you have to punch it down, braid it, do it again, let it rise again. And then you have to bake it and stuff. Um, And this year... Mm -hmm. I was making it and the dough wasn't rising. And so I called my mom in a panic and I was like, mama, I don't know what to do. And my partner was like, why don't you just throw it out and start over? And my face dropped because I have the recipe in front of me. I'm not exaggerating. It's over a dozen eggs for one recipe with seven pounds of flour and two pounds of butter, like just an insane amount of So my face dropped because I just looked at him and I was like, there are so many eggs and flour. I was like, I can't throw this all out. And so my mom's on the phone and she's trying to talk to me about like how, what I went, where I went wrong and how to activate the yeast properly. Cause you need about five tablespoons of yeast. So there was another like grocery store run because at that point I was out of yeast and I had to add it back into the recipe. But as my mom's talking to me on the phone, I hear her partner on the phone in the background on speaker going, why doesn't she just throw it out and start over? And then my mom goes, there are 17 eggs, five pounds of flour, and (laughs) And so we're both like emphatically, because that's a lot of ingredients. And just to completely start with all of that would have been such a heartbreak. My mom goes, why don't you warm the yeast, do it again? And then just knead it back into the dough and then add flour and other ingredients respectively so it's not too sticky. And so I managed to knead the the yeast back into the bread and it rose. And this thing makes, I mean, like probably two and a half feet long by eight inches wide, six loaves that size. And the other thing is that you need mastica which is a a sap from a tree. And that was uh, something else that I couldn't waste because it was already in the bread and I didn't have any more left of it, you know? And then it's on Amazon or trying to have my family ship it over. So yeah, there was no wasting that recipe. And we ended up with a lot of bread. And I think by the time we finished, it was like three o'clock in the morning when it was done baking. It was insane. Yeah, but it's good. It's real good. (laughs) Yeah, my family, we make something that I don't even I don't even know if it's like a thing outside of my family but we call them kraut rolls so it's dinner roll dough and then you stuff sausage and sauerkraut you cook it up and you put sausage and sauerkraut inside this roll and you wrap it up and then you bake it so like sauerkraut kraut rolls does it does the flavor and, of the sauerkraut change when you bake it? Because that can be really pungent when you're just eating cold sauerkraut. <laughs> yeah, again, it's very much yeah, a German thing <laughs> just to have like sausage and yeah. sauerkraut. But we do that. And the other thing that we tend to make is called mandel. It's essentially the consistency of a scone, but in log form. Okay. 
And it's got chocolate chips, raisins, almonds, and orange peel in it. So is it like a hybrid between a scone and a biscotti? Like shape-wise? Yes. Shape-wise, yes. But I'll make some and I'll send you a photo and I'll post the photo on our Instagram as well. Yeah, it's kind of the consistency of a scone, but it looks like okay. Okay, cool. That sounds really good. It's like one of my... Yeah, it's really good. It's not that sweet, and it's... Speaking of not that sweet, I have a huge sweet tooth, but growing up, we didn't have a lot of sweets. It was like a a once-a-week kind of deal, and we were talking about this, too. I don't know if it was personally or on another podcast, but um, how, like, growing up, our parents shopped at Mediterranean stores, and Trader Joe's was a big one, and you always... Like, we always got the Cheerios, but the Trader Joe's brand, but they're not sweetened ones, like the cardboard cereal. Like we weren't allowed (laughs) to have stuff that had all this crazy Mm -hmm. extra added sugars and and whatnot. And yeah, uh, Yeah, we'd always get like multi-grain Cheerios if we got Cheerios at all. And bran checks. (laughs) Yeah. And Wheaties. And those were basically the three staple cereals in my house. We got a lot of... If we were lucky, if we were lucky, we got grape nuts. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) Grape nuts. I remember staring at those things in our cupboard and I thought they were nasty. And my grandmother used to have them with um, kefir milk. And... Oh, ew. Yeah, I know. Ew. It can just like... I love my grandmother to death. But my mom was talking about, we just grew up centered around eating like dinner mm-hmm. a three-hour thing where we would eat really really good foods it's not that we ate a lot mm-hmm. of sugars it's not that we um, ate unhealthy foods we just ate a lot of food and you mm-hmm. spent just as much time cooking as you did eating and taking a break and drinking and then we cook really really great food so we eat really really great food we just eat obviously you need to balance it and exercise and have fun. But when you're dancing and drinking and stuff and hanging out, I enjoy long lasting dinners. You know, I don't want to spend three hours cooking and then eat in 25 minutes and be done with it. Yeah. Talking about childhood made me think of another question I was going to ask. What is something that growing up you hated? Either it grossed you out or you just wouldn't eat it or whatever. But now that you're older, you've grown to maybe not like love it, but you will eat it now or appreciate it or appreciate it. Um, there are a few things. My family never, first of all, being a picky eater was not an option. You sat at the dinner table until your food was gone. There were no ifs, ands, or buts about Mm -hmm. it. And there was one time my older brother was at the dinner table because he refused to eat his peas. And he sat there until about 10 o'clock at night and then finally ate them and went to bed. Everybody else had gone to bed. He was just sitting in the dark. All the lights were off. And my mom was like, you're not getting up from the table until you finish your piece. Like you don't get to be a picky eater. It's not an option. But I think today I can, I like now I appreciate kind of not having so much sugar in my diet and knowing that I actually Mm -hmm. do enjoy Trader Joe's cereals. Like I think they're great. I love their puffins, which they've got the peanut butter brand. Like puffins are great, dude. Um, Puffins are the best. And I love whole grain Cheerios, you know, things like that. But Mm -hmm. again, with the no picky eating, we weren't allowed to show that we hated food. And then got Mm -hmm. a huge health kick where she would boil every dark green vegetable known to mankind. Broccoli, leafy greens, zucchini, any dark green vegetable, lots of leafy vegetables. She would boil it, drain it. 
and then blend it. And it was a soup. And that was what we had for dinner. And we weren't allowed to have crackers. We weren't allowed to have anything with it other than a little bit of butter on top and some salt. And it was the nastiest shit growing up. Like Lars and I would look at each other and be half gagging, half laughing, eating our cereal, bitching to each other about how terrible it tasted, and then chugging our milk in between each bite that we could. But as an adult, I drink green superfoods, you know, just like, I know it's healthy. I know it's a good detox. I don't love it, but I will eat it willingly on my own because I know that it's good for me. That's fair. I feel like those are kind of extreme examples <laughs> compared to what I had in mind. Well, I mean, like garlic and olives are really salty and, and pungent as a kid. And then as you grow up, you love it. But yeah, for me, it was really tomatoes. Cooked tomatoes are a big thing in Persian mm-hmm. culture. When you barbecue or you cook, you put a whole tomato on the barbecue and you grill it and then you eat it. And growing up, I, I have I never liked tomatoes. I still pretty much won't eat them, but I now love cooked tomatoes. So if it's a grilled tomato, give me that. I will eat the whole thing. One thing that my mom used to make that other people still think is gross, but I have now learned to enjoy is cooking tomatoes with egg. Yes, my dad used to do that a lot, a lot growing up. Scrambled eggs with tomato paste or something like that in it. Yeah, just cut up like a fresh tomato. And you cook it with your scrambled Mm -hmm. eggs. And my mom would eat it all the time. So I remember when I was little going to my grandma's house and she and my mom would just make scrambled eggs for all of us. And then they'd put tomato in (laughs) right at the end and eat it themselves. And they'd eat it with, sometimes they just eat it by themselves, by itself, sometimes with toast, sometimes with like a tortilla or with lavash or something. And I always thought it was so weird and so gross. And now today (laughs) I purposefully cut up tomato and cooked it with my egg and I've been making Chad eat it and he honestly doesn't mind it which really surprises me because a lot of people think it's weird I think for that example I'm the exact opposite as a kid my dad used to do it Mm -hmm. I used to love it he would make stuffed bell peppers used to love it as an adult Mm -hmm. mushy warm tomatoes like what are those the margarita pizzas with the big slices of tomato on them oh I don't know if it's a texture thing or what but let me tell you, warm That's tomatoes, so absolutely not. It's like a gag reflex thing. It's it's the taste combined with the warm texture of tomato. As an adult, I can't do it. As a kid, loved it. Now, mm-mm. same thing with bell peppers. They got to be cold. I'll eat a bell pepper like an apple, no problem. I'm the exact opposite. It, raw tomato, no. Get that thing as far away from me as possible. Cooked tomato, I will eat it all day. Yeah, I can't, I can't do raw tomato. I just cut up tomato will- with salt and eat it just like that. Yeah, that's a yeah. I feel like that's a Middle Eastern Mediterranean totally. thing because my grandma used to just eat tomatoes like an apple. She'd just put a little salt on it and just mm-hmm. bite it. But it was like an appetizer before dinner. We would have um, quartered up tomatoes with um, cucumber mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. a little bit of salt and then cheese, and that's what we would snack on before dinner. Persians eat the exact same. Yeah, thing. I feel like we're um, very close in diet with that regard. <laughs> My next question is, (laughs) I'm just laughing at the way that I wrote this because reading it, I did not understand what it meant, but then thinking about it, I was like, okay, I get, I kind of get what I meant. In your opinion, what is the most Greek food? Like if you saw it, you were like that, that is the embodiment of Greek food. 
I think it's the name for me. Like when Americans hear moussaka, you know, that's a Greek food. Mm -hmm. But traditionally, like at least in my family growing up, we didn't eat a lot of moussaka, mostly because my dad hated eggplant. And it's it's the same thing as pasticcio, like the lasagna, but you have eggplant in it. And it's not as like a big thing as people think it is. So when you hear it, you're like, ah, that's a Greek food. The best way for me to say like what embodies the Greek food culture, at least in my family, was that when we ran out of olives or we ran out of feta cheese, my dad would flip. It'd be like, this is not a Greek household. How can we not have olives? You know, you're not in a Greek household that there's no olives. And my dad would buy a five gallon bucket full mm-hmm. of olives. And we had multiple of those in our house and just tons of like, we would get a lot of our olives and our feta cheese and the hard cheeses and stuff from the Greek restaurants, like the guys that gave the restaurants the food. And so that's why we would have just huge buckets of olives and stuff. And that's what made me really feel like I was growing up in a Greek household was that we would have olives and the cheeses and stuff like that with every meal. Obviously lots of garlic is in every meal. It's the staple ingredients, I think, that really define it for me. It's the rosemary and the lemon, the garlic, the olive oil. <laughs> just food, man. It's just a lot of like it's a lot of meat, lots of meat, lots of vegetables, <laughs> lots of spices. So my next question was, what is Greek food like in the US versus in Greece? Because you've been to Greece many times and you have family yeah. there. Um, I think the biggest noticeable difference it's the quality of ingredients that makes it because they're eating the same typical Mm -hmm. like vegetables and salads there's never lettuce in the the quote-unquote greek salad it's just tomato Mm -hmm. olives the bell peppers the colorful hearty vegetables with feta cheese capers actually add a really nice saltiness to that as well but i think the other thing is that they eat a lot more potatoes than people realize so when you have a year in greece you have the lamb and the tomato and the whatever but they also put french fries in them and so you have a lot of tzatziki and then french fries in the middle so this it's this thing is huge and they're delicious and they're super cheap and um that's how they eat them over there they eat a lot of carbs like breakfast there's always bread there's always bread but it's clean i think the biggest thing is there's a difference in how they use cheese and so it might be as an appetizer or like feta cheese and it's very different than like when we pinterest recipes here and everything's cheesy alfredo or cheese like there's just so much cheese yeah. and I guess they eat, they eat cheese, they eat, but it's in small doses and it's not in every meal. It's an accompaniment to the dish or the glass of wine, mostly just, like a little bit of cheese, nuts yeah. and fruit. And that's what you're having. Would you say that you are, I don't think either one of us are picky eaters because we do eat everything, mm-hmm. all vegetables and whatever, but are you a snobby eater? Ooh. Yes and no. Yes, in the sense that if there is even one bad review on a restaurant (laughs) that says something about the food being undercooked, overcooked, not just not Mm -hmm. up to par, I, I just won't go there. And I think part of that was 
living in Portland for so long, Portland is a huge foodie scene. And with all of the food trucks, you really have a variety of just good cooks. And there's always a better Mm -hmm. restaurant. And that was one of my favorite things about going to New York as well, is just seeing all the different kinds of just really good food. Our favorite restaurant to this day is still this hole-in-the-wall Chinese restaurant we found in Brooklyn. It was hidden in this neighborhood, and I had found it on Instagram. It didn't even have, it didn't have an actual Instagram. It was just a location tag, and it had... I think less than a hundred posts, but the food looked so good. And everyone who posted about it raved about it. So I was like, okay, we have to find this place. So we walked for like, I don't know, 20 minutes trying to find this place. Finally found it. There was, I don't know, two other people in there. And I was like, oh no, what have I done? We were so hungry though. We were like, I don't even care what this food tastes like. We'll just get a variety of things. And then one of them has to be good. Sophia, it was the best food I have ever had in my life. And we had happened, we had managed to get there or just happened to get there about a half hour, maybe 20 minutes before their dinner rush. So it wasn't that there was nobody in the restaurant. Mm -hmm. We were just early because by the time we left, there was a line. Oh my God. That's awesome. Perfect timing. It was so good. We, we still sometimes the hole in the wall places though, I, are the best places to get food and when you are paying for something mm-hmm. you want it to be good you know but are you yeah. are you snobby or a stickler about grocery shopping like for yourself what kind of food you get not really I mean I I don't really go organic I don't necessarily subscribe to the idea that it makes it mm-hmm. better <laughs> I I do agree that organic farming is the better way to go, but oftentimes grocery stores promote this idea that it's, quote, organic, and it just means it doesn't have pesticides, whereas I've been to organic farms. I've learned about what it means to actually Mm -hmm. organically farm, and that involves a whole variety of things, not just not using chemicals on your crops. For a while, we were actually getting like fresh produce boxes from a local farm and most of our food would come from there. We go to the farmer's market, but that's more because we try to eat locally rather than just going to the grocery store. But most of the food that is sent to grocery stores around the U.S. and worldwide is grown in our area. Yeah. So Either way, we're, we're supporting a, yeah. a local farm because big majority of the farms that supply nationally are our local farms. Yeah, I totally, I agree with the organic thing. I did a lot of research and I took a couple of nutrition classes where we learned that there was this huge thing about like GMOs being really bad. But if you think about it, every single food we ever <laughs> eat is genetically modified. Like the banana we today is not the original banana. The original banana was basically just all seed and we modified it so that we could get more Mm -hmm. of the meat. That's not a bad thing. Corn isn't everything. That's it. That's like the biggest. So there's a lot of stigma between like, you have to dig a little deeper. I think GMOs aren't inherently bad. Organic doesn't inherently mean good. There's something to be said about eating food that's also pumped with hormones. It affects you. And even in small ways that you may not be 
aware of. And so that's where I really started to become kind of snobby, I guess, and where my food came from, because I would prefer to buy the pasture raised eggs, the chickens that have free reign on acres, and they're coming from local areas. Those eggs cost Mm -hmm. six to $7 a a dozen, or you get the name brand eggs for a dollar 29 and you get large grade a mm-hmm. white eggs but my partner was like prove to me that there really is a difference let's do a taste test and i go i'm willing to do a taste test don't get me wrong but even in looking at when you crack the egg the egg that is mm-hmm. six dollars when you crack it it's it holds its shape better it's darker in color it's like the yolk is orange and I mm-hmm. taste the difference because one day I was cooking and he was like, wow, these eggs taste amazing. What'd you add to them? And then the next day I cooked his eggs and I was like, wow, these eggs taste really watery. And I was like, yeah, because they're your cheap ass eggs that don't have any flavor to them. And they're manufactured like these eggs. We should be getting these eggs from these places. And I don't want to support a huge company that's torturing. I shouldn't say torturing. It's being like really dramatic, but it's, it's just gross. The <laughs> eggs taste like water. You know, so I do want to yeah. be, but it's expensive. So we try to find a happy medium because uh, we compromise on the eggs. I get my fancy eggs, but we also, we do try to shop at like local butcher shops for our meat and stuff like that. So that we're not going to the store and stuff. But when it comes to like buying the organic bananas or regular bananas, we'll just get regular bananas because you're supposed to wash your fruit anyways and your vegetables and stuff. And it's like, mm-hmm. I don't trust that the organic really means what it's supposed to stand for. So just that's where we compromise yeah. and we'll buy sometimes the cheaper stuff. It's kind of like the gluten-free label. They just yeah. slap it on everything. Exactly. And twice as much. And like Oreos are vegan. And so there are a lot mm-hmm. of things out there that like, just because you put a label on it and nothing's changed. You know what I mean? It's, it's just, so yeah. I think people really need to be aware of where their food is coming from, what's real what isn't you're not required mm-hmm. to put all of the ingredients on the the label which i think is bullshit but it's true and it, so for me it's like mm-hmm. i want to know what i'm eating i don't want to pump my body full of meat that's got hormones in it and i even got into the science of you've got these animals in these factories and they're scared they don't know what's going on and they're being butchered they're producing all of those really toxic hormones that's then being released into their muscles that coupled with being pumped full of hormones anyways and then being shipped off to us it's like what are you really eating do i really want to put all this crap into my body so that's where some of my family and friends are like you're super hippie and almost in a condescending way like ah hoity-toity whatever super hippie and but for someone who does struggle with balancing hormones and coupled with birth control and all this other shit, I don't need to add more crap into my body by eating bad meats. So I have no shame in spending a little bit more money on eating really, really good foods if I know it's going to make me feel better. We really try. I mean, it's hard right now because the farmer's markets are mm-hmm. closed and we go to the grocery store yeah. every two weeks <laughs> and just buy the like minimum amount of food possible. But We usually really try to shop locally, get our food from the farmer's markets. We don't really eat red meat. So I I became a vegetarian when I was about 12 or 13. And I was hardcore vegetarian for about a year. And then I was pescatarian. 
for about six years, five or six years. And then I started eating chicken. So Chad calls me pollo pescatarian. Yeah. I then started eating red meat, but only when we would go out and I would, and it wasn't every time. Most of the time when we go out, I'll still, if I'm going to get meat, it's seafood. Or if we're at a really good meat place, Mm -hmm. I'll get a burger, but I don't, I don't ever cook red meat, but there is a Persian dish called Gorma Sabzi and it is a ton of greens, kind of like the soup your mom (laughs) used to make. It's just a ton of dark leafy greens and you chop it and you put it into a stew and you add kidney beans and lemon, dried, dried lime. And you add, traditionally you add meat, red meat. It's a, I guess traditionally it's lamb and I'm a big sucker for lamb. I, I always said like, I will not eat red meat unless it's lamb. And that is pretty much true. If, if I'm going to eat red meat, it's going to be really good red meat, but lamb is really expensive. And I was making this for my birthday a couple of weeks ago. And I was like, okay, I'm not, not even going to try to track down where I could find lamb on the coast. And so I'll just get red meat. And I was at the store and I called my mom and I was like, mom, how do I pick red meat? (laughs) And she just laughed. And I was like, I realized that I have never in my life had to purchase red meat because I stopped eating it when I was, you know, maybe 13. Then I just haven't cooked it for myself. Aside from Chad will buy burgers and and cook those, but they're already in patty form. I've never even bought ground beef. And so I'm just like, I don't even know what I'm looking for. (laughs) She's like walking me through it. She's like, okay, you want this kind of meat. You want it to be really lean. You want about a pound. Okay. So I purchased it all good. The next day I go to prepare it. And I'm like, what are the precautions that I need to take? Is it like chicken? Do I need to bleach (laughs) everything now that I've used it? But people put raw meat on their eye when they have a black eye or used to. And so I just always go through my head. First of all, the Rocky movie. What do I do? You're not beating meat in a frozen (laughs) water. It was really funny, but I, I managed, managed, I did Woo, it. I want to cheer for you. Good job, Layla. Yeah. That's so funny. <laughs> Why did you, you choose to go yeah. vegetarian? I was never a huge meat eater. My family wasn't really growing up. We had meat like maybe a couple of times a week, but it was never a big staple. We just kind of, my dad really likes the term flexitarian. And he says that that's what he is. He'll eat meat on occasion, but most of the time they eat a vegetarian diet. And that's just kind of what we did growing up. And there was one week I spent the week at my grandparents' house and we had meat for every Mm -hmm. single meal. And I just couldn't stand it anymore. And I always really liked animals and I knew that there were things that happened that I didn't agree with that made Mm -hmm. people vegetarian the last night that we were at our grandparents house they had they had veggie burgers and my grandpa asked me if I wanted one and I was like sure I'll try it because if I'm done eating meat (laughs) 
I might as well see if the alternative tastes any good. And it was great. And I had never had a veggie burger before. And I was like, okay, I think I can do this. So I went home either that night or the next morning. And I told my parents, I don't want to eat meat anymore. And That's they funny. laughed. <laughs> I was like, no, I'm done. I don't really like the way that it tastes. And I honestly haven't eaten a ton of What I can since. really appreciate is even though I personally eat meat, understanding that it isn't for everybody. I'm not one of those people that's like, ah, mm-hmm. you're a vegan, get over yourself. I completely respect it. And in a way, it's, I think, also changed the way I eat as well and how T and I get our food. Because to your point, like mm-hmm. for the ethical and environmental reasons, I completely understand. I also completely mm-hmm. understand that meat isn't for everybody. For him and I, with the amount of like weightlifting and exercise and things that we do, less so in quarantine, but my body really feels it when I'm not eating meat and I digest it super well, mm. except for pork. Pork is one thing that I can't have, but like bison, we get a lot of bison and like other meat um, and also mm. lamb, which in this cookbook I have here, there's a whole section on strictly lamb meals, like growing up as with a Greek oh, diet, there's a, um, a recipe in here literally called lamb surprise. It's ridiculous. <laughs> but growing up, I think my parents also made us say like, it's totally okay to have your own views. They supported me when I said I wanted to go vegan. It was the, honestly, one of the biggest things for me was avoiding the like hard cheeses and also butter. Butter was <laughs> hard. So I was like, what do I eat my toast with? Mm-hmm. Um, now there are so many alternatives that it's not that bad, but my oh, yeah. parents really instilled in appreciating where your food came from. And I don't know if you've ever seen the show Meat Eater from the Steve guy. He goes hunting. But something that all of those hunters do on the show is they actually get really emotional when they kill their animal. And they always say a prayer and like, thank it. And they always say like, we appreciate that you are feeding our family and nothing goes to waste. And it might sound really gross to a lot of people. But just like in my big fat Greek wedding, when she said her grandmother chased her around with a lamb eyeball on the fork, forcing her to eat it, that really is what it's like. And so this last uh, Easter was a month ago, my dad got a lamb and we had the head (laughs) roasting in the oven and we had all of the organs and the bones and the meat and we ate all of the meat. We make a soup out of the other stuff. My dad grilled the heart and the kidneys and the liver and stuff like that, including the testicles. And my little brother is sitting around the table and he's super excited. And he's like, oh my gosh, the first part of the lamb's out of the Traeger. Like we grilled something, let's eat it. And my dad's just cutting up pieces and not telling anybody what it is. And then he comes into the kitchen and he goes talking to my partner and he's like, you should really try this. So they go outside and my partner takes a bite of a piece of meat that my dad gives him. He's like, wow, it's got a nice crunch to it. This is really good, blah, blah, blah. And it turns out it is the lamb's testicles. And the trick is you have to tell the person <laughs> after they've eaten it so that there's no psychosomatic, like, oh my God, yeah. that's disgusting. But my partner actually was like, you know what? I really appreciate that absolutely nothing of this animal has gone to waste. We have eaten everything. We've appreciated everything. And it tastes really good. It's a lot of fun to appreciate all types of 
eating though, Mm -hmm. because even with eating for my blood type, there aren't as many restrictions as you'd think. It's just certain meats that are good for you or better for you and fruits and veggies, but also like discovering new vegan recipes and, and cooking with tofu and stuff. Not something I usually do, but it's fun to experiment and try something new. I get really bored with the same thing. Mm-hmm. all the time so it's nice to kind of see what else is out there and pinterest can be super helpful with that but i think also like the julie and julia movie mm-hmm. remember how it where she cooked a new recipe every day yeah it'd be fun to go out and buy a cookbook from a culture you're completely unfamiliar with mm-hmm. and try some recipes from that and just see an experiment you know and see what people are eating on the other side of the world and how they do it and yeah that'd be kind of fun <laughs> That would be really fun. Okay, listeners, we have a challenge for you. If you have a cookbook from another culture and you want to try a recipe that you've never tried before, do it and tell us how it is. You can write to us. We are on Instagram. Yeah, that'd be super exciting. Yeah. Fun to see what everyone comes up with and share the recipes and see how it turns out. Yeah. Even if it's not from a different culture, but a new vegan a new recipe, recipe, a whole 30, a whole uh, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. I want to try a whole 100 diet. A whole 100. I don't know. Everyone talks about this whole 30, but I feel like if you want, you, you can't go 30%. You got to go whole 100. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I think the whole 30 comes from the 30 day thing, but if yeah. you want to go a hundred day... I took an anthropology class because I was, <laughs> for a little while, going to major in medical anthropology. Mm-hmm. And it actually completely changed everything I believed about food and how humans have evolved to eat. And there's that argument where humans were meant to eat, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, we're not cats. We Our diets have never been solely meat, mm-hmm. ever. Think about how hard and exhausting it was to hunt all the time. Yeah. Eating meat was a delicacy. It really was. And we we berry picked, we foraged, we, we had a lot of vegetables, we had a lot of grains, we had a lot of berries, but meats were a delicacy because it was so physically taxing and so much work to go out and hunt an animal that it wasn't something you came back with every, you didn't come back with a Buffalo every day and feed the tribe, you know, that's not realistic. So when you go back to like, even the paleo diet, there's absolutely nothing about the paleo diet that is truly paleolithic. It, it's just not, not how it works. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was kind of eye opening for me because I thought that traditionally and anthropology, Logically speaking, we always ate meat. And I listened to quite a few TED Talks and did a bunch of research and found out that actually that's not what our bodies were meant to do. It is meant to be a delicacy. And people really, really need to focus on if you actually want to eat clean, it's the vegetables. Mm-hmm. Carbs are not evil. It's it's complex carbs. You know, you want the yeah. good grains, you want the good rice and stuff like that, but and they're, and they're not evil. And it's completely changing your mindset into, okay, my body does really well on rice and not so much beans, but there are other ways I can get my protein and vegetables and have meat on the side. But I just think the food industry is hugely fascinating because there's so many things that go into it. Obviously there's a lot of money. Obviously there's a lot of advertising and these fad diets and the paleo diet and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, it's not true. I mean, if you really want to dig deep and look into it, you're going to have to do a bunch of research to find out what best suits you. And for me personally, the thing that makes the most sense is to look at where my family heritage came from. If my family on my mom's side has been in Norway for hundreds of years and on my dad's side has been in Greece, 
for hundreds of years. Then, of course, my body being from the Mediterranean Sea and the Scandinavian fjords, they're going to be eating a lot of fish. Mm -hmm. That's what my body knows how to do. So I'm not going to try and force it to eat something that's totally foreign to it because it doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. So work with what you got and with what your body knows. And I feel like that's the most simple answer. You know, there's no fad diet. There's no answer for one person because we are all so very different. And it's interesting to see how like when you do become like cleaner with your diet, how much more sensitive you are to other things. Mm -hmm. So don't get me wrong. I love ice cream and Oreo. Like I love chips and junk food. We all do, especially on camping trips, but I can only handle at this point so much of it before my body is like, you need some, I actually crave vegetables because I can't have sugar. Yeah. We, (laughs) Chad jokes about this the other day. He was, I don't even remember what we were talking about, but he was saying something like, why do we need a whole plate of broccoli? Who are you going to share it with? And then he paused for a second. He was like, your family your family would get stoked to just have a giant plate of broccoli to share around. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, yep. I never thought about us as being really hardcore vegetable eaters, but he grew up with having chicken that had little seasoning and white rice that was slightly overcooked, kind of mushy. And you put butter and salt on it. And like <laughs> <laughs> to me, it just, I, I couldn't do it. I know his, so his mom is from New England and she moved to the Midwest when she was, I think 13, 12 or 13. And my grandpa is from a very small town in the Midwest and they seem to have very similar palates and things that they eat. Mm -hmm. So my grandpa will put, will take a plain rice cake and put butter on it and then just eat it. Yeah. it's It's like a thing. And he does the same with saltines and it just very like a just bland diet, which (laughs) my jaw is dropping to the floor for all of you who can't see me right now. (laughs) Oh my God. This totally reminds me of that um, Tumblr post where someone was like, England really did raid the world for all of their spices and then decided they didn't want them. And, and then they moved to the U S and it's like, it's, it's a joke, but it's also completely true because you like you always hear about the English and Americans having terrible food. When I hear about like there are so many people who don't put spices mm-hmm. on things, and it's like I don't know how my little brother for a while, my mom was like, "Yeah, it's fine." He would just eat the California rolls or the sushi rolls that just had rice and Mm -hmm. cucumber in them because everything else had too much spice or flavor for him. And in my head, having to sit at the table with a goddamn bowl of Trader Joe's shitty cereal until 10 o'clock at night. And all of a sudden my (laughs) little brother gets this free, this free, like basically get out of jail free card is what it felt like. Like he just he could eat whatever he wanted as plain as he wanted. And so anytime he came over, I was like, bro, you are eating something new and bless his heart. He embraced it. There was one night I made something with a little bit of a kick to it. And by a little bit, I mean, I was sweating. <laughs> my nose was running like my nose was running. I was sweating and I was like, dang, there's a lot of, there's mm-hmm. quite a bit of kick in here. And my little brother is chomping away at it going, no, it's really good. You did a good cough job on it cough and he's sweating and drinking milk and just looking at my boyfriend like how the hell 
my boyfriend was totally fine. He's sitting there like devouring a huge plate and was like, there's no spice yeah. in this at all. What are you guys talking about? And my little brother was just like, oh my God, I'm going to shit fire <laughs> for the next week. This is crazy. But he, he ate it and he had a smile on his face and he was giving me compliments. And I was like, that's super sweet of you. And I'm glad your palate is growing. I did feel bad because even yeah. for me, it was a little spicy. It's better to grow your palate than just because I also felt like going over to people's houses mm -hmm. when they cooked things and then being picky about it. It's different if you are vegan and they're, mm -hmm. I completely respect that. Like if you have your own food choices, but just simply being a picky eater or deciding that you don't like something was completely unacceptable yeah. in my family. You don't show up to someone's house and have them cook for you and say, oh, I don't like that. It just not an option. And so my brother learned really quickly, like, oh, even though it's spicy, I'm going to say mm -hmm. I love it and I'm going to eat it. And afterwards, he was like, you know, I appreciate that. And so watching his palate grow has been pretty fun, too, because he's experimenting with new foods. Yeah. And it's just at least yeah. you tried it, at least try it. And then if you don't like it, yeah, whatever. Sure. Yeah, but, that was my um, parents one stipulation they said okay you know it's your choice to go vegetarian that's totally fine you don't have to eat meat at home but if you go to somebody's house and they cook meat for you you have to eat it you're not going to be rude you're not going to hide it in your lap or whatever like you need to be respectful and I, I was like okay cool so then I just stopped going over to people's houses no I'm kidding <laughs> <laughs> There's a big difference between being picky, though, and having a lifestyle of yeah. food that suits you for whatever reason yeah. it is, you know, like, I can respect that. And if you come over to my house, and I cook meat, and you're like, Oh, I'm vegetarian. Fuck, yeah, I'll make mm -hmm. you some vegetables or whatever. like whatever you want to eat. I'll do that. So many things go into going over mm -hmm. to someone's house and telling refusing yeah. to eat their food. Yeah. I didn't feel like I had a lot of friends over growing up either. Because anytime I did, they would never eat the food my dad or my mom cooked. It was always this like, look at me from across the table of you can't seriously expect me to eat this. And I remember like my dad growing up, he used to eat, I don't remember the little sardine fish. My dad would put them in a batter and fry them heads on bones in everything. Like just the mm -hmm. complete fish, fry it. And we'd mm -hmm. eat it like French fries. That was normal for us. We loved it. We'd add lemon to it and salt to it. And we'd have friends come over and be like, what the, f there is a head on that fish and bones in it and y'all are eating the whole thing but they're so tiny that it didn't matter and they were absolutely delicious and even even stuff that i thought was like totally normal and basic like stuffed mm -hmm. bell peppers i would have friends over who were like i can't eat this at all like so i get seeing even big fish my dad would cook a, a regular sized big fish and put the whole thing on your plate including the head and the eyeballs and i can get why to a kid in America that would be like, what are you doing? Like, how do I eat this and pull it up? Like stuffed bell peppers. Like it's just rice yeah. and veggies and stuff in a bell pepper. That's all it is. But yeah, I just like, I, so many times friends come over and just be like, there's nothing normal in your house. Why do you have a five gallon bucket of <laughs> olives in your pantry? Yeah. You know? And it was like, I don't know. It's just how, like, why do you have kefir milk? People didn't even know how to say it. They didn't even know what it was, you know, and little things like that, where it was just like, yeah, I'll just go over to my friend's house. It was always yeah, weird. I never, I mean, I didn't feel like people had an issue coming over to my house. People usually just said, I love the food that your family makes. Like they were the friends that I had were definitely very open to eating different kinds of food. But my parents, again, are both from the U.S. They're both born in the U.S. And I think because of that, my family was definitely more Americanized 
And that's probably what made it easier for people to come to our house is we had cultural influences with the food that we ate, but it wasn't significantly different. And my parents always, I mean, if we ever had people over, they'd make like spaghetti or burgers or something. So there wasn't anything crazy, but if I, you know, we did make some Persian food or whatever, and I would take some to school, my friends would always be like, Oh yes. What are your parents making this time? And they'd always like it. Yeah. I think sometimes Eventually, it got to the point where my family would, if we had a friend coming over, it'd mm-hmm. just be pizza night because they kind of just got like a little defeated and they knew because Lars was older than me. My older brother was older than me. And he would talk about how sometimes he definitely would get made fun of because he'd have funky food. And then by the time I was going to school, my dad tried to give us more normal things. So we'd have like maybe a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, maybe if we were lucky. But then after a while, it just was like, you know what? It's just easier to feed and make everybody happy if we just got pizza. So every once in a while, we just got something totally normal. And also you have your lazy nights too. So family night was fun because we knew it was going to be something different. We got a lot of Chinese food. or We didn't have a whole lot of pizza nights. It was mostly lots of sushi, lots of Chinese Mm -hmm. food and stuff like that. But it was super fun because we knew we were getting something extra special. And that's why I love going over to my friends' houses too, because they always had like fruit Mm roll-ups or gushers or like all the crazy stuff my parents refused to ever buy because we weren't allowed sugar. I remember sitting at the lunch table in elementary school and trying to trade my like Cheez-Its or Wheat Thins (laughs) or whatever I had that was my special something in my lunch for like gushers because I thought they were the coolest thing ever. My friends would be like... No, <laughs> not gonna, I'm not going to give you my yeah. fruit snacks. Do you remember those little yogurt pieces that they were in a, um, they weren't Go-Gurts. They were Go-Go's, Yogos. I don't, I have no idea what they were called, but they were little balls of yogurt that were dried and they came in the same type of packaging that like Gushers came in. It sounds familiar. I remember being, yeah, I remember being in elementary school and all my friends had them. It was like the fad. It was a cool new thing to eat. And they had like rock candies and those Mm -hmm. ring pops and stuff. And I would just lose my goddamn mind because in my family, we ate like black licorice Mm -hmm. and black licorice with salt on it. And like, those kinds of things. And people would be like, ew, what is that? So when I got real candy, it was like my world Mm -hmm. exploded. It was the greatest thing ever. I loved it. That's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. I I remember the first time I ate Lucky Charms and (laughs) it sounds so weird to say it, but I was in seventh grade and my friend brought a little sandwich baggie of Lucky Charms with her to school as a snack or something. And she was just sitting there eating it. And I looked over at her desk and I was like, can I have some? And she was like, sure, whatever. I was like, I'm about to eat Lucky Charms. And I just, I remember Mm -hmm. because I was so excited. It was this thing that just seemed so magical. And every time we were at the grocery store, I'd see it and I really wanted it. And I'd never have it. And I was so excited. And so I, I got a little piece or a few pieces, like a little bit. And I just sat there at my desk looking at it. I'm like, what do I eat first? And so I just put all of it in my mouth at once and I chewed it up 
And my friend was looking at me like, what the hell is your problem? Why are you being so weird about your... And I looked at her, I was like, I've never had Lucky Charms before. So then six people turn around and they're like, you've never had Lucky Charms before? And I was like, I've never had it. Yeah. And it's... I don't, I don't know. It was it was Lucky Charms. Like it's you're always that a weird kid that stands out. Yeah, no, but it is yeah. great. You know, it is like when you're a kid and you see all your friends eating these things. I used to go to my babysitter's house and I would pretend that I hadn't had breakfast because I had a shitty bowl of non-flavored Cheerios for breakfast. And then by the time I got to my babysitter's house, she had cocoa mm-hmm. puffs or fruity pebbles or Captain Crunch or whatever. And I was like. Heck yeah, I want to eat it. So I pretend I didn't have breakfast so I can have another bowl. And then one time my friend ratted me out and was like, she's already had cereal. She just told me she ate at her parents' house. And the babysitter was like, well, she hasn't eaten at my house. So she's allowed to have one bowl because she had to ration out her food. It was her house. You know, she couldn't just just go crazy. But she was like, at my house, she's only had a bowl of cereal. So it's fine. And I was like, yes, (laughs) because we... (laughs) we got to have snacks and fun stuff every like maybe every few months my dad would come home on a saturday morning with krispy Mm. kreme donuts and it was the Mm -hmm. best because it definitely definitely wasn't no uh blended Mm. up green soup that's for sure you know waking up and coming downstairs my mom we would always smell breakfast cooking and so we'd wake up to the smell of breakfast and we'd go downstairs on the weekends and my mom would be in the kitchen. And then the times when you would wake up and you wouldn't smell anything, it was like, oh, maybe he went out and got donuts. And it was sometimes maybe he had gotten donuts or my mom just hadn't yeah. gotten started on breakfast yet. But um, <laughs> you'd always hope that that little glimmer of hope, maybe he got donuts and he's That's coming so back. Funny. Yeah. Every so often we would have where we would all sit together and eat as a family. Usually it was a Sunday morning. And we would do one of two things. The first one is my dad would make coffee cake and it was so good. And he would make it in a round cake pan and he would put this cinnamon crumb topping on top and we would eat that with canned mandarin oranges. And I don't know, I don't know why we had those together, but it was only ever coffee cake and mandarin oranges. And we never ate coffee cake with anything else. We never ate mandarin oranges with anything else. But if we had them, it was always together. That's yeah. amazing. Or we would go to this donut place down the street and get donuts and biscuits and gravy, which sounds like a weird combination. But the place, the place is called Highway 99 Donuts, and they're not there anymore. But it was this really small, it was in a building that used to be some sort of drive up, drive through coffee shop. And you could, you would just drive through and get your donuts. And it was run by this Indian family. So it was the same, like six people working there at any given time. And it was, they were the sweetest people in the world. And you would go get your donuts. They had fabulous donuts and they had the best biscuits and gravy I have ever had. So we would get, we would get two orders of biscuits and gravy and a dozen donuts and I would usually go with my dad to pick it up and pick out all the donuts and everything. We'd take it home. And then that's what we would eat for breakfast. And we'd eat the donuts like kind of throughout the day or the next couple of days. There'd usually be about, you know, a third of them left over that we'd just throw out because they <laughs> would just get stale. Yeah. But it was just so much fun. I love those those memories associated with the mm-hmm. food, you know, like that excitement. I can just see how excited you get when you talk about those biscuits <laughs> and gravy so and stuff. And it's amazing how 
but it's amazing how impactful those memories can be even just around something so simple like just getting donuts sometimes my mom would make norwegian Mm -hmm. waffles that are thin and in the shapes that you know how you have those circle Mm -hmm. waffles and they're cut in four and so you get like a Mm -hmm. pizza slice four pizza slices per waffle okay well this waffle iron was the same circular premise but the waffles were shaped in heart and so it was just like a circle of hearts all connected and the waffles were they had cardamom in them and yeah and a couple other things they were so good and we would eat them we'd rip off a heart and we put some sour mm-hmm. cream on it and then some sugar. And then we'd roll up the heart and we'd eat it. And oh my God. Or my mom would make these, like, she'd make strawberry purees. And um, she put a lot of effort into weekend breakfasts. Cause I remember she'd make like jams and sauce, like fruit sauces and things to go with our waffles. We'd have eggs and bacon. And then sometimes she'd make lucamades, which are. They're like Greek donut holes, basically. So it's like a donut hole, but fluffier. It's super light and fried. And it takes like four hours wow. to make. So my mom would get up super early in the morning. She Because you have to work with the yeast. Mm-hmm. You have to let the dough rise, blah, blah, blah. And then you have to get the dough and you have to fry it. And so it's this light, fluffy ball. And then you soak it in this honey, simple mm-hmm. syrup with cinnamon and Oh my God. You can get, if you're ever in Portland and you're at the Greek festival, you can get the mm-hmm. Lucomades and they're so freaking good. And they take time. But I remember just sitting on the counter watching my mom and watching her fry all the little balls. And I was just like, I just couldn't wait any longer. It was so exciting because they were so delicious. And those were fun mornings where it was like, yes, we got a really good sweet mm-hmm. breakfast, you know? Yeah, it was things like that are fun. That's the stuff I want to do. Like if I ever have kids, even just with my partner now, actually, it's nice to wake up on a Sunday morning and be like, we have all day to just cook. We can make whatever we want. We can drink whatever we want. And yeah, it's amazing. Well, that's a scoop with Sophia and Laylee. Thanks for tuning in. And if you have anything to add in our little challenge with trying a new recipe, feel free to share with us. We are really excited to see some new sweet or savory recipes and uh, check us out on Instagram. Go ahead and give us a follow at almost true pod and we'll see you guys next time.